Harvest. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors. Um, each pastor is going to lead one of the movements of the service today. I think there's really something very significant when we remember that there's no one like our God. Even in the opening worship for me, that heart of worship song, it's all about Him. And I just am reminded how often I make it about myself. And even the songs we're just singing, that He is unchangeable, He is unshakable, He is uncontainable. Uh, We're going to continue to kind of develop this theme of seeing God for who He is. Growing up, I played a lot of baseball when I was young. And I wasn't half bad. I'm not saying I was awesome, but I wasn't half bad. And I remember playing in an all-star game, and uh, I I struck out swinging at a really bad pitch. And later the coach pulled me aside and he said, are you you seeing okay? Is your vision okay? Because it wasn't like me to swing at a pitch like that. And I just kind of shrugged my shoulders, um, didn't think much of it. And soon after, I needed to get glasses. And I did have a problem with my vision. And looking back, I realized how hard it is to play baseball with blurry vision. And I think the same is true for our spiritual lives. If we're not seeing God for who he is, it's very difficult for us to grow. I want to go back to another A.W. Tozer quote He once wrote, our religion is little because our God is little. Our religion is weak because our God is weak. We do not see God as he is. I think the truth is for many of us, including myself, often we're living our lives with an inaccurate or blurred view of who God really is. And it has significant spiritual ramifications for us. And I want to go back to Isaiah 6, which we read earlier. And I want to just look at the first verse in Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah sees a vision of God in his glory. And he sees the Lord seated on a throne. And how is God seated on the throne? God is seated high and exalted. And I believe the reason why many of us might not be seeing God right now is because he can only be seen as high and exalted. God cannot be seen as small or less because this is not who he is. For Isaiah, God reveals himself as the one who is high and lifted up, the one who is holy, majestic, and grand. And I really want us to hang on this. God can only be seen is high and lifted up. This is where I think many of us need to get really honest with where we're at, with God. I think many of us have become too impressed with other things 
in our life. And it has created a slow drift, a slow fade away from allowing God to be high and lifted up in our lives. Whether it's our busyness, our chasing after the things of this world, our misplaced priorities, our pain or disappointment with life, Many of us have come to a point in our lives where God has become less than he should be. God has become a lot smaller than he truly is. I think what is even more alarming for us is that we have gotten okay with God becoming less. We have grown used to God becoming small. It's become a way of living for us and operating with God at the margins of our lives. And we're no longer putting up a fight against it. I was thinking about my own life and and how often I struggle with fear or worry or being paranoid. And when I don't put up a fight against it, when I don't let it go challenged in my thought life, I'm suddenly giving into a belief that God is not in control, that God is unable, that God is really small. And my hope for us right now is that through the work of his spirit, the conviction of his Holy Spirit, we would come to a place where we would say, this is not okay. I don't want to keep living this way with God being small or less. And then we would come to a place where we can tell God, God, I'm so sorry for making you less. God, I'm so sorry for making you small. God, I really do want to see you. I don't want you to be less. I want you to be more. I don't want you to be small I want you to be great. God, I want to see you high and lifted up. And so what I'm going to invite us into is just a time of prayer and reflection uh, for us to respond to what God might be doing, for us to repent for how we've made God small, we've made God less, and to ask him to bring that true change and transformation that only can be done by the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, So I want to invite you to just close your eyes, relax. For some of you, even opening up your hands in a position of surrender might be helpful. I just first want to give you a moment just to Ask God, what is the Holy Spirit stirring in me right now? And just try to be quiet and pay attention first to what he might be saying to you. So take a moment and just listen to what God might be saying.
second thing, I want to just invite you uh, to acknowledge maybe one thing in your life uh, that you've gotten really impressed with. It's become so big that it's really crowding out God and making him smaller. And the truth is a lot of times it's the good things that God's given us, our, our family life, our career, our relationships, that can often just take center stage and push God to the margins. So I just want to invite you to just acknowledge maybe one thing that's become so prominent that it's pushing God to the margins. And the last thing is just to tell God you, you are sorry for making him less. Tell God you're sorry for making him small and inconsequential in your life. God, we believe your word and that your word is true when it says there is no one like you. That you are great, that you are exalted above anything else. And God, when you are seen, you are seen as high and lifted up. You cannot be seen low or small or less. And God, we confess as your people that often, not intentionally, God, we have let you slip away in our lives. In the hustle and bustle and the things that we are chasing after, God, you have become inconsequential. You've become so much less than you should be. And God, we as your people confess that. We acknowledge that, God, and we want to turn from that, God. We want to repent and say we're sorry. God, your word says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, 
then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And so God, we claim the truth of your word. God, that when we turn from our ways that are far from you, when we turn from our, our sin, God, that you hear us as we cry out to you in humility and repentance, God, and that you will bring healing, you'll bring restoration, you'll bring new life in the dead and stagnant places in us, God. So we ask that your Holy Spirit would do that now in us, God, that you would continue the work that you have begun in us, God. You would release us from the chains of our idols, uh, the things we are clinging to that do not honor you. And there would be a fresh awakening by your Holy Spirit among us, God. That we would get a new vision of who you are, God. You have never changed, God, but give us the vision to see you as you truly are, as the holy and awesome God, as the one who is worthy of, of all our worship, God. And so, God, we pray uh, for the power of your Spirit at work in us, God, that you would continue to lead us to places of repentance and turning to you, and that we would see your face, God, that we would know you anew, that you would answer the desires and cries of our heart to live our life for you, to honor you, and to worship you. So God, I thank you for the work that you're doing right now. And I pray, God, that we just have confidence in your ability to change us, God, to heal us, to break us of the things that are keeping us from you, that we would put our hope in you. We pray this together. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been lost? You're going to somebody's place or some sort of event and and you get lost and all the feelings that just rise up within you, uh, fear, shame, anger, uh, all of those things that sort of arise because you know that you have to be somewhere but you're lost. Have you ever gone somewhere that first time and you've gotten lost and you know that you have to keep going to this place many times over? can think of when I first started youth ministry, when uh, kids didn't drive, you had to always pick them up. Sometimes getting lost, all the, the angst of we're going to be late for study, I'm the one who's leading it, and I have all of these things to actually get taken care of, and then getting lost again the next week because I didn't learn my lesson from the first week. And I bring that up because I think sometimes when we begin to make God less, uh, we get lost. And... We realize we're in this place of lostness, but we don't know how we got there. And so I'm going, I've been thinking about this all week, and I came up with a whole bunch of stuff, which I hope is not a distraction instead, and I hope that my um, luck with technology uh, holds up and it doesn't fall out on me so that it becomes a distraction as well. But I'm going to have us look at a whole bunch of stuff, and I, and I want us to reflect. And I know that we've been doing a lot of reflecting, 
But I, I think sometimes what happens is we hear something, we embrace it quickly, and we are ready to move on to the next thing rather than to let it soak in to our lives. And so I'm going to cover some things that I think take us away from seeing God for who he is and make him less. The first one is distracted. John, can you put that on for me and then I'll move them up? Excellent. Distracted. A lot of us get distracted in seeing God for who he is. And that happens because our priorities change. When we first fall in love with God, uh, so many things are, are overwhelming and there's such a desire and emotion uh, to know him more. And unfortunately, like many relationships, it begins to fade because we get distracted. Other things become our priority as we get older. Um, good things, getting married. Good things, having children. Good things, having a career. Uh, good things, participating in the lives of, of our children and in church. All of these things eventually become distractions if we let them and don't allow God to be the center. And our priorities become, I need to make more money in order to get my kids through college. I need to make more money in order to be able to uh, have a good, firm retirement so that I can live in the lifestyle that I have now. I need to chase after these things because if I don't get them, then I won't ever really truly be at peace. And we get distracted and we begin to lose God. And there's a response to that. The response is, this is, I am lost, but I want to get from, I drifted, to I will follow. And I want us to take a few moments just to think about that. What does it mean that I drifted? I drifted, I lost the priority of seeking you first. And I've drifted. And I want to come back to a place where I follow, where you become the center of my life. Take a few moments and ask yourself, have I become distracted and how? And where did I get lost? And how can I get back? Another way in which we begin to make God less is we get disappointed with God. You're working through things in your life. You're praying, you're seeking God, and he's not answering. In the struggles of life, you're asking questions like, God, why do I feel like you are not here? Why do I feel that I'm alone? And we get disappointed. And why does it seem that when I look at my life, everything goes wrong, and I look at somebody else's life, and everything seems to go right? And we get disappointed with God. And so he becomes less because we wonder why is it that God is not so active and intimate in my life. And so we move from struggling with anger to getting to a place where we can actually say, God, I trust you. We're like Habakkuk. We can say, even though the Babylonians will come and do what you will let them do, God, I have waited and I will Sing your praises. I will respond with joy. Our disappointment with God makes him less when we're unable to see him for who he is in the midst of that. Take a moment and I want you to reflect. 
Is there disappointment with God in your life? Are you going through a crisis where you feel God is not responding, where he is silent, or where he has abandoned you? Where you really wonder, does God truly exist, or what am I doing? Am I speaking simply to a wall or a ceiling and not really feeling a father who cares for me? Disappointment with people. In the midst of your crisis, do you kind of look around and go, where is everybody? Why are all of these people who talk so much about family, people in my community group who talk about walking with me or in my youth group, and suddenly they're not there? In the midst of my crisis, people are looking at me and wondering, what's wrong with you? Why are you so disappointed? Why are you struggling so much? Pick yourselves up by your bootstraps and move. Or you begin to feel that I'm alone because in this place where there's supposed to be family, no one remembers me. No one comes and asks how I'm doing. And so God becomes less when we become disappointed with people because we expect more of his church. We expect his church to be walking with us and caring for us and carrying us, carrying our burdens when we are weak. And so we need to move from I judge to I forgive. Because sometimes it's really easy to say people have abandoned me and not recognizing that there may be others who are around you, others who surround you, who may be thinking the same thing. Why is there no one here for me? Going through struggles silently because they're afraid to share what's going on in their lives that people might judge them. And so while they are there in their pain and we are in ours, we judge And maybe they're not in any pain whatsoever, but are actually doing well and should come alongside of us. And yet we still judge. Like Jesus on the cross, to turn to the Father and say, Father, I forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. We are to move from judging to forgiving. Deep distress. Moving from I can't to I will cry out. You may be in a place right now where you're on the verge of absolutely breaking down. I can't go on. I am no good. I am worthless. There is nothing I can offer people. I'm done. I'm finished. I quit. I want to run. I want to get away as fast as possible. And when we struggle with that, when we struggle with the disappointment of God, the disappointment with people, and in the midst of this distress, we say, God, I cannot. God wants to bring us to a place where we say, I will cry out. I will continue to cry out. No matter how difficult it is, God, I will hang on, for there is no one who is like you. Let's take a moment just to look at your heart, look at your distress, and ask yourselves, God, come, fill me with you, fill me with your hope.
Another place is deliberate disobedience. Where God has asked you to do something, and you said, nope, I, I will not do that. I'm not going to do what you ask me to do. Like Jonah, when God said, go, go to the Ninevites, he said, nope, it is not going to happen, God. And we need to get to a place where we move from I won't to I will. Jonah's not the best example because when he actually did, he really didn't have a heart in the midst of it. But some of us have really said, you know what, God, I am doing something that I know is wrong. Whether it is the way that I live, the things that I do, the things that I say, the aura, the personality that I have, the air that I give off, things that you've asked me to correct, God, I have refused to do so. And in the midst of our refusal, God has become less because now we have stopped saying, Jesus, you are Lord. But Jesus, you are Lord when I need you to be Lord, but when I don't, this is my life. Leave me alone. And God becomes less. Let's take a few moments to look at our hearts and ask, is, are we in a place, are you in a place, am I in a place where I have said no to God and have made him less? And finally, though similar, similar, a delayed disobedience. Where when God approached Abraham and asked him to sacrifice Isaac, he immediately left. Some of us have heard God speak to us. He's tugging on our hearts and we're saying, oh, I, 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 mm. we want to get to a place from I might to I want to now. God, where I have been struggling with that call that you have on my life to do something, to help someone, and I've been struggling with that, but I'm going to do it. I want to do it now. So how do we get there? We're lost. We know we're lost. But now we want to regain that desire. I'm going to give us two things. One, don't be in a hurry to wait. And what I mean by that is, what we do here today is maybe an hour. And some of you might be going, oh man, this an hour is a little too long anyway. And all this thinking and reflecting and all of these things that you're putting back at us. And, and you, you may just feel overwhelmed and leave. Or you may be sitting there and you might be struck by something that has been said already or will be said and we'll grab onto that and say, now I have hope and we will reflect on it and we'll be in a hurry to say, God, I've embraced this, but now what's the next step? And what's the next step after that? And I think what God says to us is, don't be in a hurry to wait. In other words, wait. Become like the sponge. A sponge really is a, a very interesting thing when it's dry it doesn't absorb or soak anything until you put it into the water. It has the potential to soak, but when you put it in the water, and a lot of us as Christians need to be like sponges who are in the water and who soak, embrace, grab onto the very things that God is speaking to us and to our hearts so that when you pull this soaking, wet sponge out 
and squeeze it, significant amount of water comes out. Because we've absorbed, we've soaked it in. I think God's call for us in going through all of this and recognizing, you know what, God, I have lost my way. And at present, I am feeling lost. I've understood where I'm coming from. I understand where I'm going. And now I want to embrace this, to take it in and let it become a part of our hearts so that it is marked. It reminds me of the tattoo that my youngest daughter, Jannie, has those little cheap tattoos that you get. You put the water on them, and they get down your uh, arm there for a little bit, and then about a half hour later, you can scrub them off like nothing. And a lot of us are like that tattoo that sits there and says, I've got this, God. I got this now. I understand. Okay, let's move on to the next thing. Rather than being marked or truly tattooed, like Ephesians 1 talks about where we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, where God gives us a tattoo, we become a sponge and are tattooed, and let that work that God is working in us become a deeper work to be a sponge. But then to be a fountain. After we have embraced what God has spoken to us, not to spill it out to everyone, but to spill it back to God. To cry out from our hearts like a fountain that says, God, I have lost my way. You have spoken to me. Restore my desire. As God would say, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. Do those things that stir up your love for me. Like many counselors in marital counseling will say is, do you remember what it was like when you were first married? Do those things again. Embrace God's word. Embrace the honor, the privilege, the opportunity that we have to speak back to him from our hearts that we might be in conversation and relationship. And then one of the things that we can do in taking everything that we've learned is something called breath prayers. And this is something that all of us can take today. And it's two simple prayers from Isaiah 6.1. Be high and lifted up all day long like a sponge soaking in God's word and saying, Lord, be high and lifted up and speak it back to him and say, God, you are not high and lifted up at this moment. I am looking at myself. I have made you less, but I wish to make you more. Be high and lift it up. Or to say, oh, Lord, there is no one like you. God, I have looked at my life. I have seen the things that I have been distracted by, the things I have been disappointed by, the things I have been disobedient in. And now, Father, let me realize that there is no one like you. There is no one who's satisfied. There is no one who gives life just like you do. Oh, Lord, there is no one like you. And our second thing is, don't keep it a secret. Seems a little contradictory because what I'm calling you to is to embrace it and not to run out and tell everybody, look, I'm changed, but to let it soak into your lives. But as it soaks into your lives, don't keep it a secret. Share your story with a brother or a sister. You may start by sharing your story and saying, this is the place where I am. I am lost. I am in pain. I am in hurt. I have nowhere to go. I've given up on God. I've given up on people. I want to do what I want to do. Please help me. 
And as God speaks to you in his word, and as you speak to him as you pray, and God begins to work in your life as you're transformed by seeing him for who he is, share your story with a brother and sister that you might have someone who walks alongside of you through the darkest of times. And in time, hopefully, share your story with a neighbor. Someone who has not had the experience of finding God. Seeing that he is high and exalted or lifted up. And that there's no one like him. In this way, what we're saying is, God, I want to restore that love. It's like a relationship. If you're married, if you can remember when you're first dating, what happened? You spent a lot of time together, right? Spending a lot of time on the phone. If it was a long-distance relationship these days, you can use uh, Google+, Skype, whatever it is that you use. And you can develop that relationship, and you grow because there's a lot of conversation. In fact, I always tell uh, the youth group, as I told my kids, uh, don't when you date, don't kiss, because once the kissing starts, the talking stops. Right? True? Keep talking. Build the relationship. Fan those flames into life. Let's take a few moments to reflect. Now, I threw a lot of things at you, and I apologize for that. I was thinking halfway through, I think this is a little too much. Um, but I didn't stop. So hopefully it wasn't a distraction. But we have seen how we make God less. We see our need to make God more. Hopefully you have seen that you are in a spot, if you are, lost. How you got lost, where you need to go, and how you can get there. Now, I know that it's very pragmatic. My hope is that you don't leave here thinking this will be an automatic one-day thing and everything will work from here. It is a life's journey. It is a life's relationship. Let's take a few minutes, continue the reflection, look back on some of the things that have already been mentioned today, and just ask, God, examine my heart. Show me if there's anything in me any way in which I have made you less and show me any way in which I can make you more. Let that be marked into my heart. May I embrace it. May I be full like a soaking sponge. May I burst forth like a fountain of water as I cry out to you. May my story as it is consumed by your story, be a story that I can tell others that they too might walk in your story. Let's take a few moments.
don't know how many of you remember the song by Simon and Garfunkel that says, Silence, uh, my old friend. I never understood those words. And uh, I think in many ways, as followers of Christ, we don't understand how silence actually is our friend. We fear it because it means that we are alone and we have to hear what's really going on. I want to encourage you. Don't just leave today and not get to a place where you can actually be silent. If you're a married couple with kids and you think to yourself, silence is a luxury I may never experience. Can I ask you, as a couple and as a team, even today, to give your spouse that time to be in silence to reflect. You might be a young adult who thinks, man, there's a lot of things I got to do today, a lot of things I have to finish before the work week starts tomorrow. And again, I would encourage you, even if it just means one hour less of sleep, please take the time. It should be the same thing I would encourage for our youth group, to sit there and think and reflect, to be able to see who God is as he really is rather than who we perceive him to be. At this time, I'd like us to take our offering. And I'd like to make a little bit of an extra part of the offering. If you're a visitor, please do not feel obligated to give. I want you to know that we want you to be here uh, like a family dinner. When you come over, we provide the dinner. We don't expect you to bring something. That would be kind of strange if we invited you over and said, I've never met you before. You're a visitor to my house, but can you please bring ribs? Otherwise, don't come. Please don't feel obligated to give. Simply receive. But as we give our offering, I don't want us to just simply pass on what we normally give in tithes and offerings. But Paul talks about an even greater offering, offering ourselves as living sacrifices. And so as we've gone through this service and we're drawing to a close, my encouragement is don't simply put something in the basket and say, I have offered enough for today. But as we continue to reflect, asking, even a breath prayer, God, what might I offer in my life now to you? How might you be high and lifted up? How might I get to that place where I see that there is no one who is like you and offer that to him? First is God wants to reveal himself to you. I hope you believe that, that throughout this week, God wants to reveal himself to you. The second thing is, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in you. He dwells in you. And the Spirit is at work in you. You're not on your own in this life. And so may this week, may we see the God who is great, who is high and lifted up. May Jesus Christ increase. May we decrease. May the power of the Holy Spirit continue the work that he has begun in you.
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.